I'm Denise. Hi, I'm Jack. I'm Josh. Hey everyone, this is Tom from the Showroom Spotlight Podcast. Hi, and welcome to the first Showroom Cinema Podcast. I'm James. This new podcast by the Showroom Cinema hopes to keep you informed on all the most pressing and important film-related news. Today, we are also joined by Michaela Smith, the Programme Manager of the Showroom. She'll be giving us an insight into how the showroom is still thriving despite the difficult situation it finds itself in, and also speaking on how audiences can still connect with independent cinema. And Tom, what have you been looking at? So for this episode, I'll be taking a particular look at the Festival of the Ribble in Sheffield and the Sharon Cinema. And I'll be having a look at the annual London Film Festival that went ahead this year with a combination of online digital viewing um, and cinema viewings, as well as some world and UK premiere screenings that took place um, digitally. Um, regional cinemas across the UK, including the showroom, had some... Uh, exciting shows i'm going to have a closer look at some that we're hoping will be coming up in the new year yeah and then um i'll be uh, reviewing akira which i saw in october at the showroom and for the second review i'm going to be looking at a 4k restoration of lahane that is screening here in the showroom back in october and finally i'll be back to tell you about the best upcoming films that are being released and the latest your showroom has to offer Tom from the Showroom Spotlight Podcast, and for this episode, I'll be speaking a little bit about festivals. Now, for those with an interest in film, the festival setting has an air of a sort of promised land about it. It's the place to catch some of the most hotly anticipated upcoming releases spanning any number of genres. And to those lucky enough to be native to South Yorkshire, or within a travelling distance of it, Sheffield, and more particularly, the Showroom Cinema, plays host to a range of wildly different film events. The following is designed to run you through some of the mainstays of the Sheffield Festival circuit and those new to that lineup this year. So, first on the list, we have the powerhouse at Sheffield Dogfest, one of the biggest documentary festivals globally. I speak with all authorities when I say he's certainly noticed in town as the season comes. As a film student, there's always a tangible sense of some kind of relationship between my course and the festival itself, with access being made to screenings and events, as well as the opportunity to volunteer. It's certainly a citywide event. Taking a look at the content, a personal highlight, film-wise at least, from recent years is undoubtedly Asif Kapadi as Diego Maradona, a film that forms a look at the now late Argentinian stardom in his peak years at Napoli and his international football exploits throughout the ages of the decade. Certainly a slow burner of a film, Kapadi manages to truly craft a deep dive into what is, ironically, a lifestyle almost like fiction, detailing the notion of celebrity, especially in the particular context of sporting icon, and the toll it took upon the film's subject, only adding to his notorious reputation. A bit of an acquired taste as it makes no real attempts to appeal to those with limited knowledge of football as a sport, there's a lot of time dedicated to the truly remarkable achievements of the size that Maradona turned out for, and now, in light of his recent passing, it makes a fitting tribute to an icon of the game. It's worth noting, however, that the content doesn't come merely in the form of film either. A personal favourite slice of insight from any installation of the festival today has to be the sit-down conversation between the two documentary giants, Nick Broomfield and his modern-day incarnate, Lou Theroux. Now, Broomfield is certainly not a stranger to the Dockfest, he's previously delivered masterclasses and has premiered a number of films there, and the conversation between the two acts as both accessible to fresher audiences, whilst maintaining an appeal to those who have, or might be more likely to have, come across works of either of the two stars before. Having recently also expanded into the world of technology and possessing dedicated branches to the arts, Dockfest as a festival is incredibly successful and it should come as no surprise. There's a sense of commitment to its medium and it always seems to deliver with care, 
a brilliantly arranging programme. In what's perhaps the most community-driven and niche event in this piece, the Sheffield Adventure Film Festival, or SHAF, quietly plugs away their events and a continuous year-round programme. The noble aims to inspire its community and encourage environmental sustainability. More than anything else we mentioned on here, SHAF maintains this almost rugged romantic appeal to its programme. There's a whole variety of films to be consumed at any one time. Nothing can really match the experience on offer here. Vicariously seeing the corners of the world in the process of exploring and supporting a local community, the ethical approach really sets it apart from competitors and peers, showing how film, and by extension, its exhibition and consumption, can be a cause for good. Now, while a little of the bewildering nature of these films might be lost, given that you can't really screen it by conventional methods, Schaff have to be commended for continuing to represent and cater to their audience, whilst perhaps opening up to a new demographic who can also access this content, countless hours of it I should add, via their website. Now personally from what I've seen so far, the visual realisation is incredible, and it really captures a strong sense of sport that is almost identical to Sheffield itself and synonymous with the city. So whether you like to free run and flip your way to the nearest cinema, or are more interested in the content itself, there's no excuse to not check out what kind of films are on Shaft's online platform. Now to the final mainstay of local festivals on that circuit, we have cellular screams. As a horror fan, this is a dream to have access to, or maybe more fittingly put with a tone, a nightmare. In a genre of film that has a million subcategories, you can never be let down by a programme from this festival. See 2016's All Nighter of classics such as An American Werewolf in London, The Lost Boys, Teen Wolf and From Dust Till Dawn, which I'm sure would have been an incredible big screen experience. With other years of the festival also having classics from Wes Craven and Dario Argento for instance, there's a slice of both old and new, as well as perhaps a look at the prospects of horror and some of the future voices by means of an accompanying slate of short films. Now, more recently, and perhaps more notably, we've also seen the likes of Raw, Kevin Smith's Yoga Hoses, and Taika Waititi's What We Do In The Shadows also screened at the festival, and it's a must-catch for those who have an interest in the scarier side of film, if you will. Now, holding back my personal take somewhat, at risk of rambling on forever, it is incredible as a student of film, and fan of film as a medium in general, to have such a diverse span of film content to consume at any point throughout the year and it truly demonstrates just how flexible the medium is. Having highlighted the mainstays of the Sheffield Festival circuit, there was a little extra surprise to the film community of the Steel City, as a showroom benefited from the national rollout of 2020's London Film Festival. Fitting around usual programming, the showroom managed to screen a number of future hits, which is a magnificent opportunity for those who managed to catch any, given how it's usually a long way to consume such kind of visual prestige, in a normal circumstance at least. Personally being able to see Mogul Mowgli, featuring one of the finest performances I might have ever seen from his lead Riz Ahmed, and hotly anticipating the likes of Possessor, our following segment is a roundup of some of the adapted events finest. Well, following on from what Tom was saying about festivals, it's worth remembering that uh, in between the lockdown, cinema has been happening at the showroom. And as well as Celluloid Screams Festival, there was an additional festival treat just a couple of months ago. Uh, This year, the annual London Film Festival, which is a showcase for world and UK premieres, it's held every October in London, as the event title hints. Um, Well, they had to rethink things and they came up with a really innovative hybrid format significantly for the showroom as well as moving most of the festival online as many festivals have had to london film festival screened a good number of premieres from the program at independent cinemas across the uk including the showroom which meant that sheffield cinema goers could get a chance to preview a really broad range of future releases now i went along to showroom to see well as much as i could i basically binged on cinema while i could i think 
Um, let's take a closer look at a couple of the films that Sharon offered a sneak peek at in advance of their release over the coming months. Mangrove opened the festival and has since been screened on BBC One, along with the full small acts anthology from the Widows and Twelve Years a Slave director, Steve McQueen. The anthology features five standalone films. They're all set in London's West Indian community in the 60s up to the 80s. All films still available on iPlayer. Don't miss them, especially Mangrove and the absolutely sublime Lovers Rock which incidentally has just been named Film of the Year by the BFA Film Magazine, Sight and Sound, just last week. Another film making it into Sight and Sound's top 10 of the year, and that's because they include festival premieres. So confusingly, titles often appear in these Films of the Year roundups before most of us get the chance to see them, but perhaps it's useful to whet the appetite. Anyway, Nomadland. Um, it stars Francis McDormand, plus a host of non-actors, vans, trailers, and it's set in this beautiful vista of a 21st century West America. Now, I found Nomadland a really beautiful and uplifting study of a woman rethinking and restarting life. Um, her husband has died and her home's turned into this ghost town after an economic collapse closes the industry the small Nevada community she lived in relied on. Uh, she finds a whole new life outside the norms of society as this modern day nomad. Uh, apparently, McDormand, when she was given the script, wanted to work with the director, Chloe Zhao, having seen her 2017 film, The Rider. I haven't seen that film. I'm definitely going to check it out on the strength of seeing Nomad Lando. Um, the film has some stunning cinematography and Frances McDormand is absolutely unmissable in this. I recommend that you see it on a big screen if you can. Um, now, this film was going to open uh, the year on the 1st of January, but now COVID limbo has put it back to the 19th of February. Hopefully we'll be seeing that in the showroom from them. Ammonite is Yorkshire director Francis Lee's second feature following the success of God's Own Country. It stars Kate Winslet and Saoirse Ronan, and it imagines a passionate affair involving the early 19th century paleontologist Mary Anning in this windswept Lyme Regis. There's stunning central performances, they're at the heart of this film, and there's also a really moving support role from Gemma Jones playing Winslet's mum, which she also did incidentally in Sense and Sensibility in 1995. I found the minimal dialogue and lack of intrusive music, I mean the sound design and cinematography are just top notch, but that also really helps to give this amazing sense of place and time uh, throughout the film. The UK release for that is towards the end of March. Look out for that one. Another round from Danish film director Thomas Vinterberg, starring Mads Mikkelsen. Um, now, this film won the Digital Audience Award for Best Film at the Festival, and it's screened in the comedy strand of the festival. It's a film about 40 or 50-something aged middle-class men, Danish men having a crisis of confidence and experimenting with staying drunk to feel better about themselves. And it actually makes for a much better and more touching view, viewing experience than the premise might sound. Uh, Denmark seems to have a very similar drinking culture to the UK, with nicer houses maybe. Um, there's some hilarious set pieces, and then the rug frequently gets pulled from under you with some really incredibly moving moments. There's also a drunken dance from Mads that was the talk of the festival. I say the talk, there were tweets, there was no talking. Um, now, just a few things to look out for in the new year then. These um, Should these titles end up streaming, not screening, 
Uh, if they're streamed by modern films, home viewers still get the opportunity to support the showroom cinema online when they're watching them. Hopefully, though, we can watch these all together on the big screen together. The few films that we've picked out do barely scratch the surface of the full and very varied programme from the London Film Festival this year. Now, over 40 countries were represented in the full programme and a healthy 40% of these films were directed by women, which I personally find really encouraging. Um, all in all, pretty mean achievement to pull off such an inclusive festival that reached out to regional cinemas as well and a huge digital audience slap bang in the middle of a pandemic. The festival recorded a lot of Q&A content with actors and directors, including for all the films we've highlighted here. And that content is available on the British Film Institute's YouTube channel. Tricia Tuttle is the festival director for the BFI, and she's announced that the BFI is really pleased with the audience numbers. Um, overall, the attendance was around 315,000 people. And that's difficult to calculate really how many people actually were reached by screenings online if you think that more than one person would be viewing at each home screening, perhaps. It'll be really interesting to see how the innovative changes the festival brought in this year for its digital and national screenings might perhaps inform future festivals, maybe make them more accessible across the UK. Of course, there's a balance to strike if you want to keep previews and events special, um, especially in terms of digital content. But it would be fantastic to see future London film festivals being a bit less London exclusive, perhaps in terms of screenings. Being able to see pro, uh, previews at the showroom as one-off events, especially as I look back now and realise I was between lockdowns when I was um, going to cinema in October, it felt really special even at the time. It was just so good to walk into a busy cinema. Um, it'd be good to see audiences getting the opportunity to fill out cinemas nationally for these special events. So this is Tom, just cropping back up to say that the following was recorded via Zoom, which might have led to a few sort of audio issues, delays, etc., and to also state that this is part one of two where our interview with Michaela Smith is concerned, with the second half to be featured in our next episode. So with that in mind, do enjoy. Uh, and we're here with uh, Michaela Smith, the lead programme manager at the Showroom Cinema. Hello. Welcome. Uh, we just wanted to ask you a few questions on the Showroom Cinema um, you know, with COVID and everything, we wanted to get some updates and see what's going on at the moment. So, um, as we're joined by the showroom cinemas pro program manager, could you perhaps give us a bit of insight into what your role entails? Yeah. Um, so yeah, my name's Michaela. I'm the program manager, um, at the showroom, as you just said, um, essentially that job is just choosing the films <laughs> in a nutshell. Um, one of the joys of working in an independent cinema is that there's no kind of central body in London that programs for a massive chain. Mm. Um, we have a really small team of people that are based in Sheffield, that live in Sheffield, um, and that kind of curate a film program based on what we think that the people here would enjoy and give them access to like a wonder of um, international cinema. So every month um, I will look at the release calendar, all of the films that are available to program and try and build a pro try and build an overall program that's um, diverse, that kind of represents the diversity of international cinema, um, some classics in there, and that will appeal to different audiences. Uh, so there's lots to consider. And then week by week, we 
think about which films to hold um, to kind of keep on screens. Um, we try to give opportunities for films to find audiences because we work with a lot of smaller titles that don't have big national marketing campaigns. Um, and then alongside that, we also kind of strategically try to develop new audiences for films. So we try and, uh, we're an educational charity. Um, mm. So we try and help uh, offer people opportunities to kind of engage with film history, um, delve a bit deeper and really kind of fall in love with cinema. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. Do you have to just sort of cater to uh, the widest audience or do you, as you said, do you target certain audiences in that? Um, we are, so we're a publicly funded body. We're predominantly funded by the BFI, the British Film Institute. Um, and part of that funding is to, to allow us to kind of provide a cultural cinema, provide access to cinema that you're not necessarily going to be able to see um, at multiplexes and some of the other chains. Um, and that's so that we don't always have to make really, really commercial decisions. Um, and it's about finding a balance between films that we find to be, I suppose, culturally important um, and underseen and films that serve particular audiences um, and also programming films that people actually really want to see and that bring mm -hmm. audiences in because it still has to be I suppose financially viable we still have to sell some tickets <laughs> yeah. so every week there's a kind of balance um between making sure that new filmmakers get their films on screen that kind of um films from around the world that maybe aren't getting huge releases but but are really exciting get screen time and find audiences find people that want to see them um but also making sure that the people of sheffield can see films that they really want yeah yeah the showroom facilitates a number of long-running schemes and special events with focuses from education to purely entertainment um with that in mind are there any highlights of the year for um for sheffield's film loving community um yeah i think so <laughs> um so we obviously run a, a main program of kind of new releases um and then we also do some archive film and kind of classic cinema. And then alongside that, we run um, some seasons um, and retrospectives where we kind of look into particular themes. Um, so the kind of, I suppose the meatiest one that we do, we run with uh, Sheffield Hallam University. Thumbs up, <laughs> your university. Um, and that is our film studies program, um, which is a, like a pretty comprehensive film film education program um, it's been running for almost as long as the cinema has been open I think which is like almost my whole life 25 years um, <laughs> very long time um, and that's a really exciting program so we do three film studies a year um, and they are a really broad range of topic topics topics um, it's eight week courses so we screen four films and in between each film, we'll have a lecture. Um, lecture sounds super highbrow. It's more like someone teaches you some really exciting stuff and then you have a lovely discussion around it. Um, they're very accessible and friendly. It's not like, this is a lecture. Yeah. Um, so there's a really broad range of things that we offer in film studies. So if you see one and you're like, 
I don't think I want to spend eight weeks learning about 1970s sci-fi. Uh, wait, <laughs> wait a few months and we'll have another one. Um, I'm trying to think of what we've recently done. Um, we did cult musicals last year. There was a big national program around musicals that the BFI did. Um, so we tried to tie into that um, and did cult musicals, which was really fun. It had like Little Shop of Horrors and then also um, Purple Rain, which some people do not consider to be a musical, but that's the fun of film studies. You can really <laughs> dig into that kind of discussion. Um, we did David Cronenberg, which was really exciting and quite horrible for people to have to spend that much time <laughs> watching Cronenberg films. Um, we've done some more lighthearted ones as well. We do international stuff. So it's either directors or kind of themes um, or genre, and it's a real deep dive. So I really love our film studies program. Um, we also run kind of retrospectives, usually two or three times a year where we'll do a long season um, that delves into one specific film director. So I think in recent years we've done Ingmar Bergman and Agnes Varda, which I really love learning more about um, Agnes Varda for that season. Uh, there's been a season on Pedro Almodovar. So those are really great if you want to kind of dip in and get a sense of a, one director's kind of catalogue. Um, and we usually do some introductions or programme notes around those films as well. Um, and we also do, I'm only gonna do one more. <laughs> we'll go on to the next question. Um, with the University of Sheffield, we co-curate a program called Philosophy at the Showroom. Um, and I think that's a really interesting one. It's um, run by the kind of the philosophy department, some of their PhD students and graduates and lecturers. Um, and they select films um, and then host an introduction and a post-screening discussion around some of the kind of philosophical themes of the film, which again sounds very highbrow. And I remember when I first started here, I was like, oh, philosophy at the showroom. Mm. Yeah. Um, but actually the program is really broad um, and that's what's really exciting about it. So there's been everything from, I think the last season had like Black Narcissus, but also had Magic Mike XXL. So <laughs> and like considering, yeah, considering kind of how you can reframe those films to think about the themes of them and kind of analyze them, I think is really exciting. So there's lots to do, there's lots to delve into. How are these film festivals and things like that going to work um, with COVID now? Um, obviously we were in tier three and everything it's not the best for the showroom and independent cinemas or just mm. the cinema going experience. <laughs> it's not. Um, at the moment we're closed because of tier three and the law. <laughs> yeah. Saying we have to close. Um, in kind of looking to 2021 and hopefully like a post vaccine life, <laughs> um, I'm very hopeful um, that we'll just kind of be able to reinstate these programs over time. When we briefly reopened back in September, um, we didn't restart film studies. We were due to start one in October, but we had to postpone it. We didn't restart philosophy. Um, so we are kind of holding off on those kind of things because they really rely on shared discussion, mm. you know, and being able to sit near people or at least pass around a microphone <laughs> and kind of be close in a room. Is it not the sort of thing that could be moved online or? Um, it's possible it could be moved online. I mean, uh, actually, Emmy um, McFadden from the from Sheffield Hallam University, who kind of manages our film studies program. Um, did a really wonderful season over the summer um, 
what was it called? I can't remember what it was called, but it was film studies online. Mm. Um, and a number of lecturers volunteered their time to kind of teach um, sessions and, and fundraise for us. So that was really wonderful. It was a really nice way for us to be able to adapt, um, to stay connected with our audiences. But ultimately, um, in time, hopefully not too much time, but certainly in time, um, in a kind of post-COVID world, I think, yes, we'll adapt and offer a mix of kind of online and in-venue stuff. Um, but the thing that really makes, I think, our cinema special is that shared experience, is the kind of community experience that we offer. Um, and that is really based around being a physical venue. Yeah, definitely. So um, I personally am really looking forward to a time when we can kind of get back to that. Um, in the meantime, we've had to adapt. So in October, um, seems like an actual lifetime away, <laughs> but it was like <laughs> five weeks ago. Yeah. <laughs> um, we did manage to host our Celluloid Screams um, horror festival. So we had to adapt. Obviously, it was a smaller audience um, than we would usually host. Usually we pack out our biggest screen, which seats almost 300 people. Um, but we were able to kind of still host a physical festival. We spread it across two screens, socially distanced everything. We staggered the screenings so that we weren't having everyone come in and out at the same time. There was kind of like a 15 minute delay. And the response to that was really wonderful. Um, and I think people were really, um, we got really great feedback. And I think it was at a time when people really needed something <laughs> that they could do outside of their houses. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and kind of come together and see people, even if at a distance that they hadn't seen for a really yeah, long definitely. time and kind of enjoy that shared experience of all watching a new film for the first time together. So we were really happy to be able to host that festival in a safe way. Um, and it was kind of a signal to what we might be able to do in mm. future, depending what what happens, no one knows. <laughs> Hi, I'm Josh and today I'll be talking about Akira, a dystopian sci-fi action classic straight out of the anime genre. I'm a bit on the fence when it comes to anime, as normally it isn't my go-to genre when it comes to choosing what film I want to watch. That's not to say that I don't like the genre, I just recognise that for me and perhaps some others, I often tend to overlook it. However, in October I got a chance to see a fully 4K restored version of, of Akira, at the showroom cinema on the big screen and now the film has become one of my all-time favorites the film has influenced countless titles such as the matrix and blade runner and its importance in animation heralds the film as a cult classic central to the plot is tetsuo a teenage gang member who becomes an unwitting guinea pig for a top secret government experiments and canada who is at different times Tetsuo's best friend and arc rival. What I can appreciate about anime films to start is their absolute disconnect from the real world. In live action films, there are technical limits which can prohibit a director's vision from becoming a reality, whereas in animation there are no limits. If it can be drawn, it can be real. And Akira boasts this mantra with absolute pride. It is a roller coaster of emotional conflict and violence delivered through a colour vibrant sequence of 
artistic masterpieces. Katsuhiro Otomo has created a visual oasis which sits just outside the bounds of imagination and still holds up over 30 years after its release. There is something to be said about the visual style of Akira as well. You could watch the film with no sound and still be taken back purely by what you see. Otomo presents a beautiful, vibrant Tokyo of the future which color, with colours you didn't even think you could comprehend. The scenes of our protagonists navigating through the city at night feel so much more alive because of the distinct energetic spectacle which contrasts a dark background. It takes the glorious graphics from Tron which came six years before it and breathes completely new life into it. The close-ups truly stand out as being unique to the animation genre due to their lack of background, which sometimes consists of simple patterned lines, and you can almost sense Otomo saying, hey, look at this, everything else is just not important. It, br- it brings a distinct kind of emphasis on what's in frame, which live-action cinema just cannot do. However, Akira does not stray too far from the narrative tropes of Japanese animation. It's no secret that films of this genre are sometimes a strain on the mind and often like to confuse the viewer to inf- by introducing new characters and ideas and seemingly, ran- uh, seemingly random points throughout. Akira is no exception to this. It delivers a complex plot which leaves a lot of unanswered questions and at, sometimes, at some points while watching... I was just having to recount the last few scenes in my head just to be able to work out how we got to where we were in the film. That said, if you are able to follow the plot, Accurate is a rewarding, triumphant success that stands out as a film even I can enjoy. It has well and truly rekindled my interest in the genre and I know I'll be venturing further into the world of anime from now on. And now on to Jack and his discussion of Lahaine. powerhouse French film La Haine, directed and written by Matthew Kasowitz, has recently reached its 25th anniversary. In celebration, it has received a beautiful 4K restoration that has been showcased at a limited amount of cinemas across the UK, including the showroom. Re-releases are still managing to impress, with it begging to be seen on the biggest screen possible. Seeing this on the silver screen really exaggerates the effort went in restoring this, making it look as if it was a new release, and the black and white cinematography draws you straight in from the moment it begins not giving you any time to catch your breath within its 24-hour setting. The variety of emotions I was submitted to during Lane really left me drained once the credits rolled. Despite being 98 minutes long, it still managed to give me a complete gut punch through its themes of violence, hate, racism and police brutality, yet still managing to keep a comedic tone throughout the dialogue between the three main characters, Vince, Hubert and Saeed. These are the three focuses of the feature, with each of them being from diversely different backgrounds as they clash with an oppressive, racist police force patrolling their area. This brings an energetic performance to their characters as they eagerly avoid them as much as possible. Not too far into the film is revealed that Vins came across a handgun that the police officer dropped during the riot, increasing the tension as he threatens to kill a police officer if his friend, which took part in the riot, dies in the hospital. The possession of the handgun leads to some nail-biting scenes later on, giving a sense that death is constantly lurking. Topically, it is still as relevant today as it was 25 years ago, 
The multitude of protests that have been happening all across the world stemming from race issues to police brutality make Lahain all the more lifelike, proving how little development there has been within the last 25 years. This issue must stay in relevance, and because of films like this, it gets people talking and allows for reflection in years to come. Lahain is a brutally honest, socially relevant masterpiece that is one of the most important films today, making it a film that any type of audience should see as soon as possible. Hi, it's me James again, and I'm here to tell you what you can stream and watch from the comfort of your own home. For all that are showroom members and signed up to the showroom mailing list, you'll hopefully be aware of the great films you can stream and when you select showroom cinema, your favourite independent Sheffield based cinema will get 50% of the revenue. Calling. A film about a father whose dementia is worsening, so he was brought from his farm to live with his son in California. These two very different worlds collide, and the father and son are forced to face a relationship. Film stars Viggo Mortensen, who is also making his directorial debut with this film. I, Human, if you are a fan of sci-fi and documentaries, then you are in luck with this one. As this looks at how AI impacts our day-to-day lives, and where this could lead us to in the future. The third film, System Crasher. This was the showroom cinema's film of the month in February, and it was also the main recommended film for the first lockdown. The film was about a nine-year-old girl and the troubles she goes through with the German social services. So whilst you're stuck in from the outside world, there's plenty to watch from your own little private independent cinema. So there is plenty for you cinema fans to be able to go see and enjoy. And also hopefully keep you distracted from the uncertain times we currently find ourselves in. And nevertheless, the showroom will always be there to give you the best cinema experience possible. (laughs) 